More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to today's edition of the Rush Limbaugh Show podcast. Okay, the drive-by media wants you to think that this massive stock market plunge is because of the coronavirus. Some of it is, but the vast majority of this has nothing to do with the coronavirus. Absolutely nothing to do with the coronavirus. I am here to tell you what the massive market plunge is all about. Now, I don't know what's going to bring it to a screeching halt, but something will, because this is going to end as all things end. Uh, The coronavirus is being hyped beyond what it is. Rahm Emanuel, right here we have it. The coronavirus could be devastating for Trump re-election bid. Go to the audio soundbite roster, the drive-by media, back to weaponizing the coronavirus against the Trump administration. Uh, Once again, claiming this could be provided opening for the Democrats, which continues to just outrage me. I mean, these are the people who claim to have all the compassion. They have all the understanding. They have all of the feelings for people. They're running around. Could be an opening for the Democrat. What, What does it mean to say that the coronavirus, it could be an opening for the Democrats. It means the suffering of people could be an opening for Democrats. And they're all excited about it. And they're unable to let go of it. Now, before we get to the coronavirus in particular, the American political situation is specific. Let me explain to you what's going on with the stock market and the oil markets. There is in Saudi Arabia, there it. it it, it's it's to me this is fascinating. There's a 31 to I mean maybe 33 years old now, 33 year old kid. He is one of the many sons of the current king of Saudi Arabia. Now the the king of Saudi Arabia is one of the many brothers of the founder of Saudi Arabia who goes way, way, but Saudi Arabia is not that old. I mean, it's it's old as a piece of real estate. It's old as biblical times, but as it's currently structured Saudi Arabia, it was founded by a guy whose last name is Al-Saud. And he had countless 
sons. He had some brothers out there, too, but he's had countless sons. He had enough sons that for the last 50 years, one of them has been king. Now, prior to the current king, the old king was King Abdullah. And King Abdullah did not have any sons. Well, he had sons, but uh, he did not have any that, that attempted to run or make end runs around the royal family structure. So when King Abdullah died, the next son of the founder uh, was King Salman. King Salman himself is 80-some-odd years of age. Don't know how intact he is, because we, we, we don't know about the inner workings of the Saudi royal family. They're more mysterious than Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. And they've got much more oil than Meghan Markle and Prince Harry have. But you see, oil is no longer the exclusive province of Saudi Arabia. And therein begins the beginning of the problem faced by the kingdom. It wasn't that long ago the world depended on them. They could set the price for oil. They ran OPEC. They literally could determine world economies. And everybody was dependent on them, and everybody kissed their rear ends, and everybody did everything they could to be friends. And these guys endowed presidential libraries. I mean, you'd have to go long and wide and far to find a presidential library in this country not primarily or significantly underwritten by a Saudi king. King Abdullah was a particularly good friend of the Bushes, for example. This is not a criticism. I'm just giving you some background here. Uh, there was a, a member of the Saudi royal family who was an ambassador to the United States. Um, and his name was Prince, what was his name? Prince. Uh, blah, blah, blah. I'm having a mental block of the guy, but he, he lived in Washington, but practically became uh, Prince Bandar, Prince Bandar bin Sultan. And he became as Americanized as the royal family will allow any of its members to become Americanized. And Prince Bandar bin Sultan used the diplomatic pouch of Saudi Arabia for all kinds of things with people. Like, have you ever wondered how it was... I may sh- I maybe shouldn't divulge. Well, I can go ahead and tell you this. You ever wonder how it is so many Washington power brokers ended up with Cuban cigars? They're in the Saudi diplomatic pouch. You can't question what comes in a diplomatic pouch. I mean, it, it, folks, these these people had it wired. They had it wired. And when when oil was the exclusive province of Saudi Arabia, there's always been oil producing countries, but. Uh, you remember the old saw, you remember the, all those years, all those presidential campaigns, all these candidates promising to end dependence on Saudi oil. And nobody ever did. We have had the means to do so for a long time, but we never did it because it would be expensive. The, the, to cut to the chase, fracking has done as much to destroy the soil uh, the Saudi exclusivity over oil in the world is anything. And fracking is a distinct American procedure. And it is, it's a way of getting oil out of the ground that heretofore was way too expensive to do. It was not productive. It was not profitable. You could get it, but it would cost you more than you could ever sell refined products for. You couldn't sell gasoline or kerosene, jet fuel, Pretty we're near enough of a profit to make fracking worthwhile. But as American technology improved 
And as more and more people got involved, and you know the North Dakotas have been revived by by uh, shale oil production. A number of states in this country have. It is the fact that we can now get oil from shale rock that has done one of the greatest bits of damage to Saudi Arabia. Now, we're allies with them, so we've not held it over their heads nearly as much as we could have. But we are now a net exporter of uh, of fossil fuel energy, net exporter of natural gas and oil brought about by fracking. Whenever you find natural gas, you find oil. Whenever you find oil, you'll find natural gas. Natural gas is a clean fossil fuel. It's not pollutant. It's not, it doesn't uh, create uh, so-called uh, greenhouse gases. It's clean as it can be. And we own it. We own it. But we've always had an allied relationship with Saudi Arabia. But the Russians have not. And what's happening today with oil is that the new crown prince, this 33-year-old kid who has, he put his own mother under house arrest. I want you to figure this. Now, follow me on this. Mohammed bin Salman, 31 years old, decides that he's going to become the next king. There are many of his brothers older than he is, further in line, closer in line to the crown than he is. But somehow, Mohammed bin Salman has launched himself above every other rival, including his own brothers. He's now the crown prince, which means he's de facto ruler of the country. His father, King Salman, still is the figurehead, but has allowed all of this to happen. In fact, in order for Mohammed bin Salman to secure this position, he had to put his mother in house arrest at two of her sisters for like three to four months. Just sequestered her away in one of the palaces, but she was essentially in prison so that she could not run opposition to him in favor of some of her other sons. Stop and think, her husband is Mohammed bin Salman's father. Where was he when the kid put the mother under house arrest? He didn't care. This should tell you about women and Saudi Arabian uh, forms of Islam. The mother can be sacked away. Now, granted, it's going to be a palatial house in which she's in house, but she's under house or she can't leave. She can't interact with the family. She's essentially in prison. Her son puts her there with two or three of her sisters. And, and, and her husband, his dad, either doesn't know or is perfectly fine with it. Uh, you and I cannot relate to this. Sturdly, can you imagine putting your mom in jail and your dad not caring that you did it? And then can you imagine all of that happening so that you can take from your dad whatever he has and run the show? Well, this is what's happening. But the kid's 31, 33 years old. Uh, it, it's an amazing story. There's a book coming out, I think being released tomorrow, about all of this. I haven't read it. But all of this fascinates me on a number of levels. Now, Mohammed bin Salman, I'll tell you something else that happened, folks, before I get to what's roiling the markets here. Just, I want you to have as much background as you can. It was either last summer or two summers ago, and I, I forget which because time flies. One of the ritziest, luxurious hotels in Saudi Arabia is the Ritz-Carlton in Riyadh. 
Mohammed bin Salman took it over and used it as a jail. He put his nephews, he put his brothers, he put his uncles in this prison and charged them with corruption. One of them, one of the guys that he put in jail was, if you remember after 9-11, there was a Saudi, I mean, Saudi, maybe Saudi prince, uh, bin Wafal al-Talal, some such thing. This guy offered 10 to $15 million or billion to help rebuild the World Trade Center if we would do something with the Jews. And, of course, we told the guy to pound sand, but he has he's a heavy investor in a lot of American businesses and products. He was a heavy investor in Apple for a time. Mohammed bin Salman put this guy in jail in the Ritz-Carlton in Riyadh and said, you have gotten what you have by virtue of corruption. You need to give back to the government of Saudi Arabia X numbers of billions of dollars. The guy was in jail for months before he finally said, OK, I'll give the money back. A 31, 33-year-old kid was doing all this. When I say kid, everybody he's doing this to is 20 years older than he is and has been around a lot longer and supposedly would have roots of power that are much deeper than his. But he's doing all of this with the permission of his father, the king. Well, Mohammed bin Salman decided about three to four years ago that Saudi Arabia was too vulnerable as an oil-only nation. If the only export and product they had for people to invest in was oil, he said, and he was right about this, he said, we're, we're too vulnerable because what happens with the supply when and if that day comes, and it's, it's hundreds of years from now, by the way. Don't, don't believe anybody said we're going to run out of oil next year, next month. We've got so many hundreds of years of oil because oil continues to be made. A lot of people think when they hear fossil fuels, they think oil's a result of dinosaurs that died years ago, and pretty soon we're going to run out of all those fossils. That's not what fossil fuels are. It's a big misnomer and, and, and something improperly named. But fossil fuels are still being made, and they're made in particular places in the, in the world. Saudi Arabia happens to be uh, where there are massive deposits, and, but so is the United States. Now, Mohammed bin Salman was correct about something. He was correct that the Saudi royal family and Saudi Arabia needed to diversify. So you might remember he went on a world tour. Shortly after Trump was elected, Mohammed bin Salman comes to the United States, has massive meetings with Ivanka and Jared Kushner. He had massive meetings with Tech Valley people, Silicon Valley people. He had massive meetings with Hollywood people. He was pitching Saudi Arabia as an investment site for all kinds of things besides oil. He wanted movie studios to be built there. He wanted Silicon Valley to invest in in, in structures, uh, factories, uh, think tanks, you name it, uh, in Saudi Arabia. And, and this roiled Saudi Arabia because Saudi Arabia had never westernized like this. They, they, they did not believe in westernizing like this. Uh, and when Mohammed bin Salman went to meet these guys, he'd dress in a pair of jeans and a, and a Ralph Lauren polo shirt. And maybe wear the headdress, but but that was it. Uh, he's kind of a short, little, chunky guy uh, when you when you take the robes off of him. But that doesn't matter. He's got whatever hundreds of gazillions of dollars he's got, which, which speaks. Well, while it was well thought out 
this plan to diversify Saudi Arabia has not materialized. In other words, Hollywood has not built a bunch of studios there yet. Silicon Valley has not built a bunch of factories, think tanks, uh, shall we say, uh, intellectual education centers there. They may, but they haven't yet. Uh, At the same time that Mohammed bin Salman was doing this, he was also authoring regulations that would allow women to drive for the first time in Saudi Arabia. Remember that? And he was uh, was allowing women to meet in public without permission of their husbands. He was allowing them to go to lunch together without their husbands or security watchdogs being around. And this was all designed specifically to make the Western world look or think that Saudi Arabia was modernizing, westernizing, so as to be more easily seen as a place to invest money. Well, the, the, the plans were visionary and they were wise. I mean, Saudi Arabia, everybody needs to diversify. You never want to have all your eggs in one basket, even if it is Saudi Arabia and oil. Because especially with the rise of the United States and fracking, they are not any longer the go-to place in the world if you want oil or to even set the price or the supply. Saudi Arabia used to be able to set the supply, thus the demand, and determine the price for oil around the world. They were OPEC. Well, look, this is the Cliff Notes version of what's happened. Over the weekend and toward the end of uh, late last week, Mohammed bin Salman was triggered. Something set the guy off, and he decided they, th- th- there was an effort to destroy OPEC a year or so ago that bombed miserably. And it involved, if you remember, the oil market was flooded with supply. And the price of crude came way down. The price of gasoline came way down. You might remember people very worried about how the producers were going to stay in business. It was thought that this was an attack on fracking, which it was. Fracking still costs more to get oil out of the ground than traditional drilling of wells. Well, now we throw into the picture Russia. Mohammed bin Salman has made the decision or the strategic realization has occurred to him that if he's really going to corner the oil market, if he's going to really do damage, he's got to do damage to Russia. Russia is a massive producer of oil, but Russia's oil infrastructure is old and outdated. And what really is happening here? The reason why the market's down 1,300 points today is oil. Mohammed bin Salman is flooding the world oil markets with cheap Saudi crude, and his number one target is Russia and shale oil, which to an extent is the United States. I'm sure that... His effort here is not intended to do great damage to us, and I'm sure he's been telling everybody in Washington, stick with me on this, our common enemy, Russia, because Russia in the Middle East is Syria and Saudi Arabia. Look, it's Mohammed bin Salman that started the war in Yemen, uh, which ended up getting one of their oil depots blown up uh, a few months. Anyway, this very, very complicated global Geopolitics. I got to take a break. I just saw. I know. I know. But hang on, folks. Hang on. Now, this this drop in the oil price is going to be good for the consumer, folks. This is good news for everybody. 
except for producers. This always happens every time the production price of oil stops, the crude price, the barrel price, everybody panics, stock market. But you watch what happens to your gasoline price coming up this summer, going into the election. One more thing about Mohammed bin Salman. Uh, This past weekend, he actually placed under house arrest one of his father's brothers who was in line for succession to the crown, and one of his, I think, uh, cousins, for plotting a coup against him. They're in jail. And they rank higher than... Well, he, nobody does since he's crown prince. I mean... Well, hang on. i got another break here. Welcome back. Great to be with you. This is the award-winning Thrill Pack. It's the Marconi Award, by the way, for excellence at broadcasting and numerous times have won the award... Literally could win it every year, but have said that I don't want to. It needs to be spread around. I eagerly anticipated Rush Limbaugh program here behind the Golden EIB microphone. Telephone number 800-282-2882. Throw that picture up there, Brian. I decided uh, we're talking about Mohammed bin Salman. There he is. For those of you watching on the Ditto Cam, this is the guy who's... You know, the age, I say 31, 33, probably 33 by now, but he is not the oldest son of King Salman, but he is the crown prince. He has arranged himself to be the next king of Saudi Arabia. He is acting already as though he is with his father's full-fledged permission, including putting his own mother under house arrest to make sure she could not run interference against him with her other sons. Uh, and his father said, oh, you, you put mom in jail for, for fine, way to go, son. Well, I wish I'd have thought of that. I don't know how it works, folks. I don't know how this stuff works. We can't relate to it. But what what is happening with the stock market today is 85% this. It is the crown prince of Saudi Arabia declaring open warfare on Russia Involving the price of oil and the flow of oil, the free flow of oil at market prices is what this is all about. And the crown prince of Saudi Arabia is is, is taking advantage of the fact that they've got more oil and they know what to do with. He is lowering the price and trying to run people out of the market by making it impossible for them to stay in it. He cannot do damage to us in this regard because we don't need their oil anymore. And that's thanks to who? That's thanks to American capitalism and fracking and people who stuck with that despite all of the environmentalist wackos trying to shut them down, despite all of the left-wing Democrats trying to shut down pipelines and fracking, we are no longer dependent on Saudi Arabia. So what they do with their supply of oil as it relates to OPEC um, is something that we have some protection against. It's not that we're totally unaffected by it because it still is the price of oil. But we can satisfy our own needs. We can keep our country running. We can keep our people's automobiles fueled. We can keep our electric cars charged. We can do whatever we want because we have our own independent supply. Now, Russia... Russia's economy is such that they don't produce oil for the same reasons we do. They are a totalitarian regime, and their interest in oil is selling it. 
so that the government will have wealth, so that Putin and his buddies will have wealth, so that his oligarch buddies who are in commodities and chemicals and who need oil will have wealth. It's not for the Russian people. They do just enough to keep whatever Russian economy or economic activity going as they can, but their interest in it is personal much more than it is here. I'm not trying to say there aren't people with personal interest in oil, but with a with a capitalist country such as ours, a representative republic such as ours, the people's concerns are predominant because the people of this country determine our economic strength. That's why employment matters. It's why wages matter. The American people's ability to spend money, to engage in commerce, is what makes us a superpower. It's what empowers us to have the biggest military in the world is the wealth of the American people, the wealth of our economy in general. And the free flow of oil at market prices is one of the most fundamental aspects of the United States as a superpower, as a superpower militarily, as a superpower economically, that we've become self-reliant when it comes to oil and natural gas and fossil fuels makes us more immune to these kinds of actions than we have ever been. We're not totally immune. I mean, what they're going to what 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 is happening here is going to have an impact on on producer prices around the world but the the upside to this is for us is the damage this could do russia there's no love lost between saudi arabia and russia and that's because of middle eastern geopolitics and warfare and by the way donald trump is standing aside and letting mohammed bin salman wreak all kinds of havoc on his buddies in russia hope the democrats are noticing this I hope the drive-by me. I think that I think the Democrats and the media too stupid. I don't think any of them even know what I just spent the first half hour of this program telling you. I don't think they have the slightest clue. They're so busy trying to make the case that this massive market plunge today is because of the coronavirus, and it isn't. This is about oil, and it's about specifically Saudi Arabia's attempt to drive competitors out of the market. And Saudi Arabia, by the way, is also trying to shut down OPEC. They're sick and tired. Mohammed bin Salman does not like OPEC. If they're not going to be OPEC, then there isn't going to be one. OPEC is nations like Venezuela. OPEC, the oil-producing and exporting countries, what OPEC stands for. And there's a whole bunch of them besides Saudi Arabia. And they're sick and tired of having to defer to them. And so this is a, a... it's an effort by the crown prince to essentially reestablish Saudi Arabia as the dominant force in the Middle East where oil is concerned because his efforts to diversify have so far not come to fruition. By the way, his his idea of diversifying was a great idea and, and, and trying to get uh, investment in Saudi Arabia from places like Hollywood and Silicon Valley and other industries. So it was it was well thought out. It just it hasn't happened because Western the Western world still not sure that any money they put in Saudi Arabia is going to end up still being theirs. It's 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 going to take it's going to take some time. This is a young guy, and he's trying to convince people that when he finally does become king, it's going to be an entirely different situation. That if you if, if you're Hollywood and you open a bunch of studios, that they're going to be partners with you, that they're not going to nationalize you. I mean, the Rockefeller family, 
discovered oil in Saudi Arabia. And at one point, it didn't take the Saudis long to figure out, well, the hell with the Rockefellers. We're going to take it. So there's now a company called Aramco, which is the Saudi oil company. Rockefellers got their money out of it. Don't misunderstand. And understand. But if uh, if things had not changed, Saudi Arabia would be owned by the Rockefellers today. I mean, boiling this down to most essence terms, essence of terms. So if you're Hollywood, if you're Disney, if if you're uh, Warner Brothers or whatever, and here comes the Crown Prince. Suggesting, you know what, you should invest in Saudi Arabia. We think you should produce movies and so forth. And you think you're going to do it. But what guarantee do you have that one day some other leader is going to wake up and say, you know what, we love this oil company so much or this movie company. We're just going to nationalize it. We're just going to take it away from you. What are you going to do about it? And until there's some time goes by that there's some trust and some notion of stability. I mean, there's already been two coup attempts against Mohammed bin Salman. He's not even a king yet. He's just the crown prince. Now, he has successfully batted down these coup attempts. One of them was just this past weekend. But his his efforts to get foreign investment in there have not yet paid off. They may someday. But since they haven't, he's got to go back to shoring up their position in oil, which means for right now he's trying to take as many competitors out by lowering the price and forcing them out of business. It's essentially trying to corner the market in oil. But his target here is not us. His target is Vladimir Putin and the Soviet Union. The benefits to you, the benefits to you and me, gasoline prices, folks, are going to come down. They may come down as much as 10 to 15 cents a gallon or more, depending on how long this goes on. This is going to have a terrific upside for the consumer because these people can't stop producing oil. The Saudis can't turn off the spigots. They'd have nothing. They've got to keep producing the income. And ditto Russia. I mean, look, for all of the environmentalist wackos, this is a world which is governed by and runs on the free flow of oil at market prices. And you're seeing what happens when somebody tries to interrupt the free flow at market prices. Saudi Arabia today is trying to artificially, well, they're not doing it, but it's not market forces. They are unilaterally making decisions which are lowering the price and thus disrupting the flow. And this is what happens. This world, this country, the entire world, I care what anybody in the environmental community says, what the climate change crowd says, this is a world governed by the free flow of oil at market prices. And when the crude price, the per barrel price comes down, you, the consumer, are going to make out like bandits. You're going to have lower gasoline prices. You're going to have lower energy costs everywhere in the economic sector. You're going to have lower heating oil prices for those who still use heating oil in the Northeast uh, for the remainder of this winter and the winter of the next season. Uh, I also think that as the weather warms up, the coronavirus is going to spin itself out. The coronavirus is basically attacking the elderly. It's going to spin itself out despite all of this panic. And these two things combined, the, the plunge in consumer petroleum prices led by gasoline 
and the eventual spinning out of the coronavirus, we're going to see an economic rebound. Like, you can't believe all of this that we're losing is going to be made back, I think, in record time. Uh, and it'll happen before the before the election. And, and the Democrats are sitting there like Rahm Emanuel and they're rubbing their hands together and they're salivating over the fact that this is going to provide an opening for the Democrats. There is, I guarantee you, we've not gotten to this point yet where a political party will benefit profoundly by happily noting the suffering of its voters. Democrats, you better be real careful that you're not seen this way. I'm going to make sure that you are seen this way. You are being seen as hoping to profit on the illness and the discomfort and and the destruction, distraction, the upset, the normalcy that people are experiencing in their lives. That's the that, that's the kind of thing you want to profit from or benefit from. It ain't gonna happen. You might sit there and dream about it, thinking you've got George W. Bush and Katrina too happening here, but you are. You're often dreaming. And, you know, the main reason why is because everybody's hyping this coronavirus beyond what it really is. And it's it's don't believe me. Just wait. Wait for time to pass. You can't even you know what? You can't even go into a store now and buy hand sanitizer. People are hoarding that. People are. Hoarding toilet paper, charging a hundred dollars a roll for crate. Going out, just get some leaves from the backyard, folks. Don't pay a hundred bucks for that stuff. Greetings, uh, welcome back. It's great to have you, Rush Limbaugh, behind the golden EIB microphone. I really wish, I really wish somebody like uh, Kudlow, Mnuchin, somebody needs to go on TV here from the Trump administration. Explain what's going on here with the market today. Uh, regarding oil, uh, Saudi Arabia and Russia. Now, Trump has tweeted, Trump has, uh, Trump's tweet, Saudi Arabia, Russia arguing over the price uh, flow of oil, that and fake news, the reason for the market drop. It, all, all of that is correct. Um, but there's a reason why the, the, the bottom is falling out of the market. There's nothing to do with the coronavirus, and people really need to have this explained to them. And it, it isn't hard. I think... I think every one of you understood what I was explaining about Saudi Arabia and Russia and and what this is and the history uh, behind it. And I think it would go a long way toward calming. I think people can accept it. People can understand it. Uh, It it really isn't complicated. People understand uh, what happens when artificial – Prices are introduced into a market when you try to undersell something. You flood the market with cheap products designed to punish other people in that business. People understand that. Um, But I I want to extrapolate from this to the coronavirus. I have time to do it now. We'll do it in the next hour. Let me get started on the phones. Uh, This is Gil in Philadelphia. You're up first today, Gil. Great to have you with us, sir. Hi. In addition to all the points you're making concerning Russia, there's also considerations with regard to Iran. As you know, the Iranian economy has been on the ropes for more than a year now. And Saudi Arabia and Iran are essentially at war. 
fighting a proxy war in Yemen. That's true. And I really believe that whether it's a, it could be just ancillary to the Russian issue. No, actually, I don't think it is. I, I actually, you have a good point. I think by going after Russia, they're going after Iran. Those two are allied in in ways, particularly with the uh, uh, the Iranian attempt to nuclearize as much of their electricity and their weapons as they can. So, no, no, that, that's an excellent point you're making. And this could be the brick that breaks the uh, mouse's back, so to speak. And I wouldn't be surprised. Matter of fact, I'd be delighted to someday find out that the uh, Tillerson had uh, something, uh, forgive me, Pompeo, had something to do with this, that this was orchestrated, that the administration knew this was coming, and it's part of bringing down Iran. Well, uh, it'd be tough to sit here and speculate about things that we don't know, but you can take the president's tweet here. In the midst of this market plunged in, everybody knew it was coming. Folks, last night, if you were paying any attention, you knew it was coming. You knew that the futures markets were predicting an 1,800-point sell-off at the, at the open. And what happened? An 1,800-point sell-off at the open. Everybody knew it was coming. And there wasn't anything new about the coronavirus. Everybody knew it was coming because of Saudi Arabia really opening the spigot and charging very little for oil as a means of targeting Russia and your right to include Iran. So here comes the president's tweet this morning. Saudi Arabia and Russia arguing over the price and flow of oil. That and the fake news is the reason for the market drop. Uh, Saudi Arabia has a good relationship with the Trump administration. It's all I'll say. Um, and the so your your hope that Pompeo may have something to do with this, I don't know if it's Pompeo, but I I I would strongly you could convince me that um, uh, elements of the U.S. government at least are aware of this, if not behind it. Folks, here's the thing: what what what's happening today in the oil market? Long term oil uh, trade damage. This is in our interest. This is hurting Iran. It's going to hurt Russia. It's even going to hurt the Chicoms. And the cheap oil is going to stimulate our economy on the wazoo. The views expressed by the host on this program make more sense than anything anybody else out there happens to be saying. As evidenced by the first hour of today's excursion into broadcast access. Great to have you with us, my friends. Uh, Rush Limbaugh here at it, behind a golden EIB microphone. Telephone number is 800-282-2882. The email address, lrushbo at eibnet.us. I'll tell you something else about this, this, this plunge in the oil price that's causing the stock market to be uh, down, whatever it is, 1700 now. Uh, the White House is talking about targeted stimulus to help businesses that have been hurt by what we could call virus terrorism. Could I, could I give you some contradictory facts on the coronavirus and have you, you just do with it what you want. You tell me I'm crazy. You tell me I'm, uh, 
I'm not uh, concerned enough or what have you. But I want to go down a list. You know, every year, every election year has had a disease as part of it. Are you aware of this? No, you're not. Because you're living in the moment and thinking about the future, which is responsible and reasonable. That's what everybody does. You can't change the past anyway. 2004, we were all told about SARS. 2008, the avian flu. Remember that? The bird flu. 2010, it was the swine flu. 2012, it was MERS, M-E-R-S. 2014, it was Ebola. And we're still hearing about that because we're hearing how brilliantly Obama dealt with Ebola. Oh, if we only had Obama now, they're saying. Um, 2018, Ebola made a reappearance. 2016, it was Zika. Remember the Zika virus? All of these things now you're remembering? Every election year has one of these. Now, No, no, no. I'm not saying the coronavirus is fake or fraudulent. I'm telling you it's a trichom disease. You know, all this stuff with the Italians. Something that you may not know about the trichoms and the Italians, folks. You've heard about the massive numbers of cases of coronavirus in, uh, in China. What you may not be aware of, I'm looking for it right now, is here we go. Ready for this? Italy has seen billions and billions and billions of dollars invested there by the Chicoms. One example, there's a professional soccer team in Milan that was purchased by the Chicoms. I've talked to people who were in Italy three years ago, loaded with uh, Chinese people. The Italians travel to China uh, more than ever now due to the Chinese investment in Italy. The numbers for Italy and the coronavirus could well be associated with the increase in Chinese investment in Italy which has resulted in an increase in the amount of travel between people of the two countries. So much investment, so much business between Italy and China now, and for some years, a huge amount of travel between these two countries. Uh, Italy, obviously smaller, much more condensed than China. You get different lifestyles, everybody closer, going out, much smaller country. Uh, but there, there, there's a reason. You have, why Italy, Rush? Are, are, are you asking anybody? You're asking, what, what, what is it about Italy? Why is Italy having to quarantine one-fourth of the country? What's happening? Well, it's not hard to figure out. The Chicoms have been buying up things in Italy like crazy. It's been spawning all kinds of travel. This is a virus. In fact, you know what? The real name for this thing instead of coronavirus ought to be the Wuhan virus. But you know what happens if you call it the Wuhan virus? The left will come out of the woodwork and accuse you of being a racist and a xenophobe. They'll accuse you of trying to tie the virus to the Chicoms. Well, hell's bells, folks. That's where it came from. The coronavirus, you know, COVID-19 came from Wuhan, China. That's where it came from. 
Now, if it's racist to point that out, then it's racist to point that out. But it's it's something that's that's unavoidable. So in all of these years, 2004, 2008, 12, 10, 14, 16, 18, there's been a virus in an election year. Now, the coronavirus has a contagion factor of two. The SARS contagion virus was for measles, for example, is 18, the contagion factor. I keep talking about, you know, the Johns Hopkins University website, the one thing about coronavirus that nobody trying to stoke panic about it will ever tell you about You go to the Johns Hopkins website and look at the number of cases and the number of deaths. The percentage isn't changing. In fact, the percentage of death is actually falling in relationship to the overall number of cases. But you know what number is rising? The numbers of people who recover from it. Well over half of the people who get it have already reported recovering from it. And they never tell you that. Now, it's, 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 it's not 75 or 80% yet, but it's going to be, at some point, law of averages. But right now, the coronavirus has a cure rate of 99.7% for those under 50 that it infects. This virus is really attacking the elderly who already have underlying respiratory problems. It's, it's, it's a respiratory disease. You could, you could even call it a viral pneumonia if you wanted to among those it infects. It is not infecting the real young, and, but it is devastating uh, people who are over 65 or 70 who have an underlying respiratory problem. But it apparently is not wiping out healthy people in their 30s or 40s or 50s. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not, I'm, 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 I'm just t- telling you facts about it. I'm not even giving you opinion associated with the fact. See what, what can happen when you offer just a contravening set of facts. Whoa, Limbaugh's not taking it. Limbaugh's being irresponsible. I'm not being irresponsible at all. I'm telling you the facts associated with this. But here's the, here's the bottom line. White House talking about targeted stimulus to help businesses hurt by the virus. But look at what's going to happen with this plummeting oil price. You know the many industries that it could save? Try the airlines. You know what's going to happen to jet fuel here? Jet fuel costs are going to come down just like gasoline prices are going to come down. You know what jet fuel, jet fuel is jet A. You see it on the trucks if you're at the airport and you're watching the trucks run around and refuel them. Jet A is kerosene. Essentially, that's what you're smelling. Jet, there's no greater smell, by the way, than Jet A on the ramp at an airport. It's one of my all-time favorite smells. It smells like progress. It smells like power. It smells like speed. It smells like progress. I love it. Robert Duvall loved napalm in the morning in Vietnam. I love kerosene on the ramp at an airport. And you can't smell it unless you're outside. It doesn't permeate the walls. If you're in the terminal, you won't smell it. Uh, you might get a a vestige of it. But that's what it is. And it comes down in price just like the price of gasoline does. Now, let me expand 
on this for, for just a second. Because the news behind the market, whatever you want to call it today, the market collapse, I, that's, that's not the word. The market's down 1500 now. This is because of an action taken by Saudi Arabia against Russia and OPEC. They're flooding the market with cheap oil. The market is reacting to the impact on producers. But, of course, when the price of oil comes down dramatically, look, uh, let me state again, the world, not just the United States, the world, the world economy is governed by the free flow of oil at market prices. And when something happens to interrupt either the flow or the market price, then tumult occurs. And that's what we're seeing here. But as the price for producers plummets, guess what also comes down? The price to consumers. And this is a benefit. It's going to benefit the airlines because jet fuel is going to be cheaper. It's going to benefit you, the consumer, buying gasoline. Whenever your energy costs go down significantly, that's a huge percentage of every family's budget. That reduces and it leaves more disposable income for other things, including debt reduction or what have you. There's any number of positive things for the consumer that are going to result from this. Now, if 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 I'm right, I mentioned last week that I actually think the coronavirus has been around for a while. And it just hasn't been known because it's not affecting everybody. It isn't infecting everybody. I think it's been around for a while. And as such, if it has been around for a while, then, folks, it isn't as lethal as we think or fear it is. If it has been around for a while, and we don't know that because not everybody that comes into contact with it is infected by it, then it isn't going to end up being more lethal than swine flu or uh, regular old store-bought influenza A. And if it's no more lethal than that, then we have a baseline. You know, as as the president's pointed out, the number of people that die from the flu every year is 18 to 30,000. Well, we've come to accept that without panicking about it, without demanding scalps, without demanding this. We've just come to accept it because we intellectually have accepted what the flu is. So if this virus ends up being no more lethal than that, then we have a baseline. Then we know that it's not going to be that much more contagious. Then when we finally do start testing everybody, we are going to learn that lots of people have been exposed and test positive who do not have symptoms. Now, if I'm right about that, and I hope that I am, if can you imagine... The great news that's going to be perceived as that all kinds of people test positive for it, but don't have one symptom. You realize, though, what that's going to mean for people in terms of why? Yeah, that, too. It's going to be a big deal. But it's also going to mean more panic. 
because the agents of panic are going to see that and they're going to try to ratchet the panic. You mean that people don't even know they've got it and, oh, my God, that's horrible. No, no, that's the wrong way to look at it. But the panic, more panic will be ginned up as testing reflects not a big increase in the spread, but rather a big increase in the number of confirmed cases, rather our knowledge of what's been going on in the prior weeks. In other words, if a lot of people test positive but don't have a symptom, well, reasonable people, that's good. That's But other, oh, my God, it's incubating. Oh, my God, it could be worse than ever. So you're going to be faced with the agents of viral virus terrorism even more than we have them now. But I believe that there is an upside here for Trump if... He can admit to the public the dangers of short-term panic, that they're real, but then reassure people that the rebound and upsurge is going to follow because this is going to pass. It's going to end as it always does. If people are panicking, if people have a short-term panic, acknowledge it. You can't, don't, don't tell them they're wrong for feeling it. It's a lost cause. And that's not who Trump is anyway. Trump relates to people. Trump understands. People are panicked. They're panicked. Don't tell them they're nuts. That's the wrong way to go about it. Not, not that he is. I'm just saying he's not telling, he's not doing anything of the sort. I'm just saying resist the temptation. Because at the end of the day, the real danger here is economic damage, but only for a brief period of time. We have low oil prices. We have low interest rates. Uh, and, and that's going to cause some people to panic, and the people that panic uh, produce the charts in media that make it look like the bottom's falling out. Like like the, the, today, the stock market down 1,800, down 17. Oh, my God, it's horrible. No, actually, for you, the behind-the-scenes news is good. Your gasoline price could be coming down. Well, I don't want to look at it and be that selfish. You can't. It's not selfish. Markets are like that. Good news for some is bad news for others. It's always been that way. There's no utopia out there. The question is, my friends, can we get over this hump before the fall, the season, before fall hits? Because there's going to be a big rebound from this. This is only human nature. This is one of the most easy predictions I've ever made. The day is going to come where this is going to be over. The day is going to come where people are going to feel safe again. People, the day is going to come. Okay. And that, whenever that day is, whenever that week is, there's going to be a rebound like you can't believe. People leaving homes, people going back to cruise ships, people getting on airplanes, people going to the movies, whatever they're going to do, it's going to end. The question is, can that end before the fall and the election cycle at that time? Or does it happen close to the election? Trump gets blamed. The upswing comes in November too late. I mean, these are things, if you're going to look at this politically... And the Democrats are forcing us to. Then this is one of the ways uh, that we look at it. But Trump has got to anticipate this. He's got to anticipate the Democrats are going to plan to blame him for this. They're going to try to prolong this. They're going to try to extend this. They're going to try to, even when the rebound happens, the Democrats are going to try to make people believe there isn't one. It's premature. 
They politicize everything. They are politicizing this. As such, it's going to have to be responded just like the Trump-Russia collusion crap was dealt with. The phone call to Ukraine. And okay, quick time out. We'll be back. Stay with us. Welcome back. Rush Limbaugh here. Cutting edge societal evolution. We go to Lyons, Kansas. This is uh, Terry. I'm glad you waited, sir. Welcome to the EIB Network. Hi. Thank you, Rush. First time I got through. Well, I'm glad you did. I just had two points. Uh, oil is bought and sold in U.S. dollars worldwide, no matter where you are. And this whole, you know, Saudi Arabia and OPEC and Russia will affect Venezuela and Iran and all these other countries. Question is, can you, I don't know myself, how will this affect the strength or weakness of the U.S. dollar worldwide? How will this affect the strength or weakness of the U.S. dollar worldwide? Um, Off top of my head, I have no idea what the strength or effect of the U.S. dollar worldwide is. You're asking because because uh, oil is bought and sold in U.S. Uh, in U.S. dollars. Uh, ultimately, ultimately, what's going to happen is the United States is going to benefit from this. The United States is going to profit wildly from this. Because what Saudi Arabia is doing is going to have limited impact on us. It Look, if we were not self-dependent, self-reliant, if, if we still depended on Saudi Arabia uh, for oil, then our producers would be at their mercy. But we aren't at their mercy. We do not have to target our price for oil, uh, we have to peg it to what the Saudis are doing or what OPEC is doing because we have the ability to produce our own. And if we want, we can have our market be as isolated as we want it to be. So I I think this is actually, I can't prove this, but I, I find it hard to believe that like a previous caller alluded to that the that this is all happening without somebody in uh, the U.S. administration being fully aware of what's happening here. The targets of this are Russia and uh, and Iran. And so ultimately the benefit is going to be ours, however that manifests. Hi. Are you... Rush Limbaugh doing fine with half my brain tied behind my back just to make it fair. Now, look at look at this headline. This is the Washington Free Beacon. And the story is it's from three days ago. So it's before this market plummet, which we all knew yesterday was going to happen. Headline, Virginia Democrats to raise gas tax by 10 cents a gallon. You ready for this? Virginia Democrats agreed to a deal raising gasoline taxes in the state by a total of 10 cents over the next two years, a move Democrat Party leadership said would give people more time with their families. You're going to raise your gas tax in Virginia so you can't travel as much. They're doing something good for you. See, you're not spending a time you should be spending with your families. And so they're going to make it punitive for you to keep doing this. If you don't 
spend more time with your families. If you keep driving around, it's going to cost you. With Democrats also expanding a regional gasoline tax, overall gas taxes are going to more than double in some areas of Virginia from 16 cents to 34 cents, according to NBC Washington. Democrat lawmakers said the increase would help reduce traffic on busy roadways. That's not why they're doing this. They're doing this because they're irresponsibly spending money and they're just going to keep taking it from you no matter how much or how little you have left because they can. And they're going to dress it up. Their greed. This is Democrat lawmaker greed. And they're going to say, well, you're not spending enough time with your family anyway, so we're going to make sure that you can't easily abandon Nana and Nampa. You're going to have to spend time with them now, dude, because we're going to make it more expensive for you if you try to avoid them. You're not going to be stuck in traffic anymore. And you're not going to be driving as much. And you're going to have more time with your families. Now, this, despite this effort to raise your gasoline tax. Guess what's happening now? The overall price of oil is going to be coming down and your gasoline price is going to be coming down and their tax revenue is going to be coming down despite raising taxes on gasoline in Virginia. This is classic out of touch, classic elected official greed and stupidity. And would you, you want another example of elected official stupidity? How about this headline? Schwarzenegger. That would be Arnold Schwarzenegger, former Republican actor and governor. Arnold Schwarzenegger, John Kerry, who once served in Vietnam, and John Kasich have announced their new coalition to tackle climate change. And you know where this article appears? Some new never-Trumper conservative magazine called The Conservative Opinion. So a bunch of so-called Republican conservatives hopping on the left-wing government expansion issue called climate change are now announcing a new coalition to tackle climate change. For the love of God, folks, for the absolute love of God, we're now going to be inundated by a bunch of wonky, so-called pseudo-conservatism by a bunch of people. They may as well just call themselves Democrats because it's what they are. But they're trying to operate under this pseudo-conservative label under a pseudo-new conservative magazine. Elected official Stupidity and greed. Here is Anne in uh, in uh, Minnesota. Great to have you on the program. Hi, welcome. Hi, Rush. Maggie Dittos. It's a great honor to talk to you today. Thank you. Um, my question had to do with the prediction you had a couple weeks ago about um, Trump having to cancel his rallies due to the coronavirus. Oh, yeah. And over the weekend, as I'm sure you know, Jackie Spire said just as much and that he doesn't care about his supporters if he continues to hold his rallies. Yep. Yep. And my question is, do they really think that everybody is that stupid? Because they haven't suggested canceling their primaries or their debates or their early voting where all the voting machines, I'm sure, are germ-infested. 
Um, now, granted, not as many people show up to their rallies, so the risk might not be as high. But I'm just wondering what your thoughts are. I think, well, your instincts on this are exactly right. Jackie Spire is... Uh I, I thought I had the Jackie Spire soundbite when you were on hold here. I'm looking for it, and I didn't find it. Is she ABC? Um, no, she's a House of Representatives. Oh, that's right. She's a member of Congress. Yes. I'm, I'm confusing with Jackie yes. something or other in the former she, ABC. She was being interviewed by somebody, and I don't remember which yeah, yeah, media outlet it was. Six and one half does the other. doesn't matter. They're right. interchangeable. <laughs> the network person could just as easily be the member of Congress. Right, exactly. Yeah, the same thing. Yeah. Uh, so, well, obviously, this is why they're hyping us to get Trump stopped the rallies. But I'll, let me tell you why it is. Let me tell you why it is. Okay. They have don't you know Brad Parscale, who is the uh, Trump campaign manager. They they record they they categorize everybody at a Trump rally that will participate, and. In, in just the last five or six Trump rallies, you know how many have been Democrats? 18,000. Well, I can tell you that from the rally I went to in Minnesota, that was the case. It was actually 30% at the one I was at. Were Democrats? Yes. Democrats out the wazoo are showing up at Trump rallies. This is why they want these rallies stopped. This is what's not because of public safety, not because of public health. These people, because as you point out, they're not making an effort to shut down every other opportunity for people to congregate. Right. So it makes no sense. No, it makes I, perfect. I, I just no. think the majority of people, if I mean, granted their base won't, but the majority of people can see through that. Uh, yeah, no, but it, it makes perfect sense from their standpoint. If you can't beat Trump... And if you if you want to stop the appearance of excitement about the Trump campaign, then stop the rallies. And if you're really worried that so many people attending your rallies are actually Democrats, and you really got to shut them down. <laughs> yep, yep. Here, let me. I've got a couple of sound bites here. Let's uh, and thank you, thank you, Ann, for the for the phone call. Let's go audio soundbite number seven here. This is Ron Emanuel, who I've already shared with you, is the latest Democrat to discuss the coronavirus as an opportunity for the Democrats. So Rahm Emanuel was on with his buddy, George Stephanopoulos, both these guys from the Clinton War Room operation. I mean, Rahm Emanuel was, was Obama's chief of staff. Before that, he was a Clinton fundraiser. These people are just incestuous. They're back and forth. Stephanopoulos ran the war room to go after all the women. Uh, that were coming forward claiming Clinton had mistreated them. And here they are. They're talking about uh, the coronavirus and, and the panic. And Stephanopoulos says, Rom, sometimes when people here don't panic from a government leader, they do just that. They go out Here's and Here's what's going to be devastating for Donald Trump. He is not going to be able to have his rallies. And it is going to psychologically, the office is isolating enough and his inability to get the admiration, the adulation from that crowd is going to psychologically torment him. And his isolation is going to get more intense and his tweets are going to get more vicious. He has been willing to give up on the rallies. Yep. They don't get this at all. I, you know, I, I sit here literally, I have for now four years in stunned amazement over the inability of the Democrats to understand these rallies. And this comment from Rahm Emanuel informs me of just how ignorant about this they are. And it's it's worse than I thought. 
these guys actually think these rallies are done for the psychological health of Donald Trump? That's what they think? And that if these rallies ceased, that somehow Donald Trump's psychological health would plummet because Donald Trump cannot survive without a daily display of thousands of people showing him how much they love and adore him? This is truly, these are political professionals whose job it is to try to figure out why their opponents are beating them and to figure out ways to stop that and to beat their opponents. And these people, folks, it's stunning how far off the mark they remain when it comes to understanding Donald Trump and you, his supporters. They still can't figure it. You know, and you know what the root of it is? In their world, they simply cannot accept or understand that thousands of people independently are deciding to attend these rallies because they want to. They do not seem to grasp or understand the value that people attending the rallies get out of them. As far as they are concerned, these people show up because Donald Trump needs the encouragement. That Donald Trump needs the psychological reinforcement. And that the people in the audience are just a bunch of props and they've been rounded up and they've been told to go to the arena at the appropriate time and make sure you tell Trump how much you love him because Trump can't survive without you doing that. This, I, I, I'm literally becoming uh, out of words. To describe, This is beyond stupidity. And it is beyond ignorance. This is beyond arrogance. I, I don't know how to describe this. Here, listen to this again. This is the most. Yeah, I think I got these people figured. I think there's nobody but nobody who understands liberals and the left better than I do. I understand them better than they understand themselves. And this is at an entirely new level that I'm now going to have to deeply analyze and splayed. Listen to again. Here's what's going to be devastating for Donald Trump. He is not going to be able to have his rallies. And it is going to psychologically, the office is isolating enough, and his inability to get the admiration, the adulation from that crowd is going to psychologically torment him. And his isolation is going to get more intense, and his tweets are going to get more vicious. He has been willing to give up on the rallies. Uh, folks, I, I honestly, the let's just take this. Here's what's going to be devastating for Donald Trump. He's not going to be able to have his rallies. Yes, he is. He's not going to stop them. Who says he can't do the rallies? They think it's going to be automatic he can't do the rallies because of the coronavirus. Another way they're attempting to politicize this. It's going to psychologically, see the office is isolating enough, his inability to get the admiration, the adulation from that crowd is going to psychologically torment him. You guys, Donald Trump loves himself. He adores himself. He admires himself independently of anybody else. Oh, yeah, he's like anybody else. He loves people loving him and all that. 
But you think a guy's going to be lost if he can't do rally? Do you not understand why people are going to these rallies? Do you not understand the mindset of the people? You think this is just a bunch of mind-numbing robots being funneled in there to keep Trump's psychology healthy? And that if those rallies stop, Trump's psychology is going to collapse? I've, I've, I have never seen this. I have never seen a professional organization, in this case a Democrat party, be so divorced from the reality of their own circumstances and existence as to listen to these two blowhards attempt to psychoanalyze Trump and his audience with not even the faintest glimpse or glimmer of understanding of the people who are attending these rallies. Half my brain tied behind my back just to make it fair. Rush Limbaugh, the EIB Network, and the Limbaugh Institute for Advanced Studies. Have you seen this? Uh, New York Post had a story that you can't buy an iPhone 11 in New York. That the uh, the Apple stores are out of stock and they're having trouble uh, restoring because of the coronavirus in uh, in China. I think I may have more iPhone 11s than they have. I still have I <laughs> I still have plenty of stock. Uh, Let's see. Let me let me uh, stick with the phones. Patty in Urbana, Illinois. Uh, Maryland, I'm sorry. Urbana, Maryland. Great to have you on the program. You're next. Hi. Hi, Rosh. It's so exciting to talk to you. Thank God you're still showing up. <laughs> I love folks, you. Folks, did you hear that? She said it's so exciting to be able to talk to me when I'm still showing up. Thank you. God bless you. God God bless you. That would that, be a perfect time to talk to me. You're right. When I'm still showing up. So here's my news flash. We go when we go. You meaning people die when they die. Exactly. So the coronavirus, all the hype. I'm at Walmart this morning. There's more employees in there than there are customers. The shelves are empty. Toilet paper is not going to save people. Yeah, I know. Uh, I had I had people showing up at work today saying the same stuff. They can't find any uh, Purell hand sanitizer. Uh, so have faith in God, and then you'll know this. You'll know that you can see this. You can Nobody see- controls when we go. Well, now that happens to be that happens to be a fascinating philosophical uh, view of mine that I, I have discussed it on this program several times. Like, I, I'm i fascinated. I, I literally am. I probably make too big a deal out of this because most people, I'm sure, don't even think about it. But I'm fascinated with the fact we all know we're going to die. <laughs> we all do. And yet, throughout the vast majority of our lives, it's something that's not going to happen to us. It's something that happens only to other people. We go to the funeral of somebody who was desperately close to us. And we still say, ain't going to happen to me. And it's good 
it's good that people go through their lives not thinking it's good. Otherwise, people would walk around in utter paralysis and fear. And some do, despite that. Uh, but nevertheless, and I could expand on that except I'm out of time here, but you're right. We're going to go when we're going to go. And the coronavirus notwithstanding, yep, makes everybody feel better, I'm sure, Patty. Yeah, there's uh, there's political news out there. We haven't gotten to the Biden and Bernie Sanders news. I get a Michigan uh, primary stuff tomorrow. Biden, by the way, has has uh, his campaign said he needs to sit for the for the next debate. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that much more coming up. So stick with us. And greetings. Great to have you with us, my friends. Rush Limbaugh meeting and surpassing all audience expectations every day. Every program going way beyond what people expect to hear, meeting and surpassing. Like even Fox News is just now getting around to explaining to people why the market is down in relationship to the Saudi and Russia's uh, fighting over oil. All this time, everybody is thinking it's been down because of the coronavirus, and that's not. The vast majority of this market plunge today is not coronavirus, folks. It's now it's down 2,022 points now, 2,026. At some point, they're going to suspend trading again. There are three different thresholds the market has to pass before they stop. They stopped it at 1,800, and then they open it back up after 15 minutes to cool down. If it goes down another percentage point, whatever it is, they stop it again. So they're getting to the point where they're going to have to suspend trading. Um, because apparently what 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 has happened, and I don't know the specifics, but how whatever the, the Saudis did, well, we know what they did. They opened the spigots. And they're flooding uh, the market with oil. And they're trying to destroy the uh, the profit, the free flow of oil market price for countries like Russia and, and Iran. And the move was designed to force Russia into some kind of acquiescence. And the Russians are playing hardball right now, which is why the, uh, the market's doing what it's doing, going through its second phase now. But it's like everything else. This is It's, it's going to have an end. And then it's going to have a rebound. But before all that happens, there's going to be people immersed in it. And there are people being affected by it. I just want to tell you, while they're running the the, the market being down 2,000 points, they're showing a picture of a cruise ship out by the, by the Golden Gate Bridge trying to make it look like, because of all the coronavirus, Virus patients on this ship, the market's down 2,000 points. That's not why the market's down 2,000 points. But the media is the media. And the most sensational headline with the least amount of time taken to write it and read it is what's always going to carry the day, and there's no changing that. All right, let's get some of the other news out there. We've uh, we've covered this news today as well as it's going to be covered anywhere else in media today. So if you missed the first hour or two of this program, just go to RushLimbaugh.com. It's posted. You can read the transcript if you've missed it. 
Uh, if you, of course, are a subscriber, you can listen to the program again or watch it on the Ditto Cam. And don't forget, folks, we now have the app up and running on Apple TV. This is a Ditto Cam exclusively. It's not the entire website, but if you want to watch the program on TV, on the Ditto Cam, each and every day on Apple TV, on your giant big screen without having to use AirPlay to do it, you can now do it. The app is free. It's a free download, and there is a free section of it for usage. If you're already a subscriber at RushLimbaugh.com, just log into the app. You're up and running, and you'll have the entire archive of the Dental Cam, including present day, available to you on Apple TV. And if you haven't become a member, you can. You can in-app purchase work. Made it available right there on the app on Apple TV. But it's up to you. You still get content on the free side, just not uh, not as much. The Democrat National Committee and CNN have decided to collaborate to provide Joe Biden with his preferred comfort for the next debate on March the 15th. This will be between Crazy Bernie and Biden. The um, Apparently, uh, CNN's hosting the debate, and Biden has asked to be seated. Democrat National Committee says Joe Biden needs a chair and a desk for the next debate. Crazy Bernie wants to stand up. And his campaign's accusing Biden of wanting to sit down. So the uh, Politico says in, in the prior 10 debates, a candidate stood at lecterns and nearly all questions were asked by professional moderators. The new format would be a town hall style production featuring audience questions, but in a more intimate setting with the candidates in chairs behind desks. Joe Biden doesn't want to go head-to-head with Bernie Sanders. Doesn't want to have to stand there for two hours, go back and forth uh, with Bernie, said uh, John Weaver, one of uh, Bernie's aides. He wants it broken up. Audience questions because he knows in that environment he won't fare very well. Biden knows he's not going to do well with audience questions. Oh, now why, why would they think that? The uh, but the, 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 anybody believes they're going to be legitimate audience members with legitimate or these questions are all going to be plants. Who are we talking about here? For we're talking about CNN for crying out loud. This is going to be a staged thing. We know Donna Brazil used to run the questions by Hillary Clinton in advance when she worked at CNN. We know that the Biden campaign is going to be given advance copies of everything. We just know this is the way it happens. Biden is all in now. The Washington Democrat establishment has chosen Biden and whatever it takes. And we know this is going to be the case. And with Biden now demanding a table and chairs. How about this story? This I love this next story. From the Daily Caller, staffers for former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg's failed presidential campaign 
say they went rogue and canvassed for Crazy Bernie after the Nevada debate debacle. The story comes to us courtesy of The Nation, which is a far left-wing, radical leftist, practically communist publication. They've got anonymous sources. People who worked with the team, with Bloomberg's team, knew the campaign was over once Focahontas blasted Bloomberg for all those NDAs he's got with women. A quote from somebody at the magazine. Most people knew this was a was a grift. The staffer spoke anonymously out of concern for professional reprisal and due to a non-disclosure agreement. Klippenstein obtained a leaked copy of the NDA in February. Representative with the campaign confirmed the copy was indeed from the campaign. Several staffers said, are you ready for this? Said they actively tried to undermine Bloomberg's campaign, even canvassing for crazy Bernie. You know what else happened? I'll, I'll, I'll guarantee you something else happened. What did Bloomberg spend? 500, okay, $500 million. Now, you know the way this works. Whoever placed the advertising gets a 15% commission. That's how political consultants in one way, one of many ways, earn big bucks. And this is one of the reasons why there's so much money in politics. The consultants run the show. Like the consultant that got Jeb Bush three delegates for $100 million. Remember that? The 2016 primary. I'm not even going to mention the guy's name, but he's a guru. He'll be hired by the next Republican running for something. One hundred million bucks. However much of that was spent on advertising, this consultant gets the 15 percent agency commission. So these guys working for Bloomberg, I will guarantee you that the vast majority of them were just spending his money to get that 15 percent commission. He didn't have any loyalty. He hadn't been at it long enough. He thought he was buying loyalty, but you really can't. He hadn't been at this long enough. His organization hadn't been up and running long enough. He didn't have enough people he knew intimately well enough to be doing this. So there were people literally spending his money in non-targeted ways, unproductive ways, that were essentially ripping off his campaign. And some of those people as the nation story now says, we're working for Bernie Sanders. Some of the people spending Bloomberg's money and some of the people out supposedly doing get-out-the-vote efforts and all were actually working for Sanders. And some of the people who were on Bloomberg's team after the first debate when Focahontas tore into him over the NDAs, some of the Bloomberg people supposedly were so mad and so outraged at Bloomberg that they began to sabotage his campaign. They didn't quit. They didn't resign. They didn't go to Bloomberg and say, how dare you? You didn't tell us this and resign. They stayed on board and they happily spent his money, got the 15 percent agency commission. By the way, that's SOP. It's standard operating procedure. I mean, it's factored in when you sell advertising. The 15% agency commission's factored in. They just get it. That's the price. And it's, 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 I mean, you don't even need them. But it's the way the world works. 
and it's the way certain people get paid. 15% of 500 million. 10% of 500 million is 50 million, folks, for buying advertising. So you're looking at roughly $75 million somebody made for just placing Bloomberg's advertising. Now, it's more than one person, obviously. Or maybe not. Maybe it was just one campaign manager doing it all. But the stories are now coming out that these people were doing it just to do it, just to spend his money. He had written him a blank check, and he made the mistake of assuming everybody was on his side. And this is why... I looked, I looked at Bloomberg, and I'm probably going to, at some point, get in big trouble over this. I haven't yet, but you know, I, I've never been dazzled with all the so-called brilliance and intelligence that we're supposed to think these people have. Like Tom Steyer. Tom Steyer, he may have, whatever, $30 billion. The guy is an idiot, folks. The guy, in a, in just a, in a common sense... Measurements, the guy's an idiot. He had no personality, had no way of, of bonding or relating with people. It was impossible for him to create such a bond. No charisma whatsoever. And all it means is you don't need any of that stuff to earn a lot of money. And one of the things I always think about. When I hear like Bloomberg, 60 million or somebody else, 35 million. Okay, well, in the case of a hedge funder, for example, somebody runs a hedge fund and and has 30 billion. Well, are the people who gave him the money to invest, how are they doing? How does somebody with 30 billion dollars as a result of investing other people's money, how are they doing? I've often wondered that. I I don't have any money in a hedge fund. I've had, I of course have had hedge funds pitched to me, but it's because of this question. What you you tell me that some guy out there's got a, he's he's worth forty billion dollars, and I'm supposed to what's going to happen to the chump change I give him? How does that happen? Well, you know, hedge funds are this. I've never even had one properly explained to me, in a way that I could understand it. Well, Rush, it's a hedge. Yeah, I know it's a hedge, but I look at all the rules and regulations and it doesn't make any sense. It looks like I'm just giving somebody money here that for the most part is going to end up as theirs. Well, that's pretty much it. You're hedging your bets. You're hedging your bets. You're taking a risk here. You're hedging your bets. Your money elsewhere is going to be lost. It's always that what it is. Anyway, you got Steyer. You've got Bloomberg and some of these other uh, – Elon Musk. That my tech blogger buddies think that Elon Musk is the smartest guy in the world ever. They think Elon Musk is going to save us by having us all relocate to Mars. They think Elon Musk is a genius. In fact, there were a couple of guys advertising this program. And we had a golf outing uh and I, I, I'd met these guys at a couple of meetings, but this was the first social foray. And they were going, the two advertisers in this, it doesn't matter what. They're going on and on and on about how brilliant Musk is. 
You know, and I just I sit here and listen. I didn't argue with them. I I take it all in. I try to understand why people think what they think. Okay, what is it about Musk? Because if you ask me, Elon Musk, he is brilliant in the sense that he's found a way to make the federal government give him practically everything he's needed to build this Tesla company. And he himself is a billionaire, and his company has yet to show a profit. Now, that takes some brains. People keep giving you money, even though you haven't shown a profit yet. You end up being a personal billionaire. Okay, I'll acknowledge you got to have some smarts to pull that off. Anyway, Elon Musk tweeted the other day, three days ago, he said the coronavirus panic is dumb. Now, my tech blogger buddies, you know, I read these tech blogs as a hobby. They love Musk, but now they think he's nuts. Now they think Elon Musk is an absolute idiot. And here's Andrew Yang. Now, Andrew Yang, he ran for the Democrat Party presidential nomination. He's the guy who said numerous times at numerous debates that because of climate change, we need to start moving people to higher ground. No. And he was dead serious. Somebody says that, I, I look and I kind of cock my head and scratch. I said, really? we got to move people to this is a smart guy? Oh, Rush Andrew Yang, he's one of the smartest guys in tech. We've got to start moving people to higher ground. Does nobody listen to what these people say? Well, anyway, Andrew Yang also tweeted, he said, the fear of the coronavirus is likely to be as or more destructive than the virus itself. So first Musk and now Yang. And both these guys are big-time Democrats, and they're both idolized by young tech journalists and tech hippies and tech you know, hotshots. And now these same people who thought they were brilliant started to scratch their heads because they're, they're, they've let them down. They're disappointing them greatly. Elon Musk ought to be leading the world, leading the pack on what a danger the coronavirus is. So the point is that there really isn't a singular place you can go for leadership on this because everybody's leaders to one degree or another, are disappointing them on this. Now, why might that be, I wonder? Okay, quickly, back to the phones. Uh, Brainerd, Minnesota, this is uh, Trent. Trent, great to have you, sir. Hi. Rush, absolute honor to talk with you, man. I've been listening to you since I was about 9, 10 years old. Uh, my mom and dad introduced me to you, and uh, just a huge fan. So thanks Thank you. for taking my call, and uh, I hope you don't think I'm crazy right away. Uh <laughs> With this uh, theory here, but getting back to the coronavirus, um, you know, many are going to probably think this is a conspiracy, but, uh, you know, what I wholeheartedly believe is that the Chicoms put this out. Um, you had mentioned earlier that it was affecting only the elderly, and it kind of made me think about it. And, uh, you know, was this put out by the Chicoms and engineered to hurt the elderly, the non working class citizens, in order to scare the overall? general population off the streets, you know, the thousands of, of freedom protesters that were out there, did the Chicoms want them off the streets? And was this engineered to, to attack the, the elderly, the non-working class citizens, 
and not necessarily hurt the the overall general working class citizens. Um, you know, it might seem kind of crazy, but well, they lost. Con- if they, if that was the purpose, uh, you'd have to say they lost control of it, right? Right, right. Yeah, well, yeah. There there would be uh, you know obviously some collateral damage around the world affecting. You know the. Uh, yeah, well, the I'll tell economy. you. I'll tell you why. Because there's video in Wuhan of uh, Chicom authorities storming into people's apartments and just wrapping them up and taking them out of there. Young people, not elderly. Uh, if your theory is it's a way to you know rid the elderly and keep the young from going out in public, uh, I don't know they they were not. Video I've seen, and it's not nearly representative of enough, but... Well, let me tell you what the drive-by media has been doing for the past half hour. There's a cruise ship out there, I guess one of these Princess cruise line ships. And on board this cruise ship, 21 people with the coronavirus. So, you have the ship. It's on the water. On board are 21 people with the coronavirus. The ship entered the San Francisco Bay about a half hour ago, maybe a little longer. The cameras of the drive-by media have not left that ship. That shift has been shown going underneath the Golden Gate Bridge. The headline, ship with 21 coronavirus patients about to dock. They're now showing that ship as it is approaching the Bay Bridge. It will go underneath the Bay Bridge. It will dock somewhere. Ship with 21 coronavirus patients about to dock. If you live in the San Francisco Bay Area, and you are watching the drive-by media, you are essentially watching a floating what? There are 21 people with the coronavirus on board that ship, and it's going to be allowed to dock in your town. <laughs> just, It's just amazing. I wonder how many aboard the ship have the flu. Nobody knows. Hey, uh, folks, there's a reason. There's a reason why your password automatically turns into asterisks or dots or whatever when you log into a computer. You can, you can have the password uh, be shown if you want to. It's a, it's a setting, show password or not. But it, by default, it's turned off so that nobody can see you entering your password. And you can't either. Uh, privacy. But in today's connected world, privacy isn't automatic because cyber criminals can hack into free Wi-Fi systems that you might be using. They're, they're, they're stationed right there. You go to any place where there's a free Wi-Fi network and somebody that you can see if it's in a coffee shop, if it's in a restaurant. Somebody you can see is undoubtedly a hacker. Some of them are good guys. Some of them are bad guys. Some doing it just for the fun of it to see if they can. Others are literally trying to get into other people's devices and machines. And this is something you, of course, do not 
want to happen. You want to keep people away from your phone or your laptop. And now there's a way to do this. VPN, virtual private network. You know, we were on the cutting edge with these. We've been telling you about Norton VPN for over a year now. And just just now, there are the predictable stories in the media about VPNs and how valuable they are and how they work and how nobody's found a way to get around them yet. And you might want to look into it. You have known about Norton VPN for at least a year and maybe even longer. Norton VPN, virtual private network, you can log into a private or public Wi-Fi network. Let's talk public. Nobody will see your connection. It is invisible. That's what virtual private network means. You're creating your own network connection, and nobody can see it. You can route it through any of a number of servers around the world. Your connection is further. It's encrypted beyond all this protection. But nobody can see it. Nobody would even know you're connected. They can see you right there in the room, and they can see your device online, but they can't see it connected because it's hidden behind Norton Secure VPN. Norton 360 is an all-encompassing security package from Norton that includes the VPN software. It, 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 It covers you from head to toe, so to speak. There's a lot more that comes with Norton 360, including protection for your hardware against malware on your laptop, computer, and so forth. This is software that you download to your devices. You turn it on, and you are protected. And right now, you get up to 50% off your first year with an annual subscription at norton.com slash rush. That's norton.com slash rush. And get up to 50% off. Folks, there's a there's a story that, that I haven't talked about, and I should have. I should have alerted you to this way back at the, at the beginning of the year when it all happened. California AB5, Assembly Bill 5. It is now law in California. And what it started out as was a way to punish Uber. A bunch of liberal Democrat politicians didn't like the fact that Uber didn't have employees. Uber drivers were classified as independent contractors, so Uber didn't have to provide them health care. Uber didn't have to provide them benefits. Uber wanted them qualified and characterized as uh, independent contractors, paid with 1099s, not W-2s. And in that sense, it was up to the uh, employee to provide their own health care. But people signed up for Uber knowing this was the case. Now, as is the case with everything liberal and everything Democrat, everything union, some of the original Uber employees were plants and they knew this was going to come down the pike. And they knew they were going to be used to target Uber and other outfits that used essentially independent contractor help. There's a number of ways that you can be defined as an independent contractor. There are 10, essentially, but now they're undergoing massive change uh, because independent contractors' taxes are not withheld and independent contractors' health care is not paid for and, and government officials think that they're being scammed by independent contractors. A lawyer is an independent contractor. When you pay a lawyer, you do not pay his taxes, do you? When you pay a lawyer, you pay the bill. Whatever the lawyer's fee is, you pay it. But you don't ask, okay, 
well, how, how many employees do you have? How many dependents do you have? And how much, what do you, what do I pay for your health care? You don't do that. Just pay the lawyer to fee. The lawyer, as the independent contractor, handles everything else. Pays quarterly taxes, has to have his own health insurance, all that. A lot of people are independent contractors. A lot of people prefer to be independent contractors because it gives them total control of all of their money and they don't pay taxes on it until it's owed. Nothing is withheld. But there are things that they must do as independent contractors. In addition to paying taxes quarterly, they have to buy their own health care. They have to have their own 401ks and all this. Uh, so <clears throat> Uber had millions Thousands, hundreds of thousands of people over country that were not employees and as such were not being given health care. And so Uber was hated because it was successful. And so a bunch of California politicians, we're going to get Uber. We're going to kill them. We're going to punish them. And they made a and they made a move on a piece of legislation and required these people be called employees, which meant that Uber had to buy them health care. Uber would not be able to stay in business. Well, the bill went much further than trying to ruin and destroy Uber. And when the bill first popped up, once again, my tech blog buddies, oh, they loved it because they thought Travis Kalanick, the founder of Uber, was going to get stuck. They thought Uber was going to get penalized. Turns out AB5 goes much further than Uber. And it takes direct aim at independent contractors, and it attempts to wipe them out, basically eliminate them, including journalists. A lot of journalists are now independent contractors. They don't work for one network or newspaper or publication. They work from home or wherever, and they file stories or columns that they submit to whoever might publish them. And if they get published, they are paid on whatever deal they can negotiate. Well, they are now limited to 25 or 35 pieces a year. And it's not... It has curtailed the ability of journalists to write stories and make money by publishing many number of places because of the limit that has been placed on the number of stories that they can actually be paid for filing. This has caused my tech blogger buddies, to revolt. Whereas they used to love AB5 because they thought it was going to nail outfits like Uber. Now they find out they're being nailed. Now, when this problem came up, a bunch of journalists and others went to the woman who was the author of AB5 and said, no, you're killing us. You're killing us. You couldn't possibly have intended this. We're not Uber. We're just a bunch of journalists, and we don't want to work for one place. We want to write, want to submit a column here for Sporting News, and over here we want to try the New York Times, and next week I want to submit some to the Washington Post. And after 35 of my pieces have been accepted, you say I'm frozen out, I can't submit anymore? That's right. Because we are eliminating independent contract. We're eliminating the qualification. We're doing everything we can to wipe it out so that you are not taken advantage of. 
by evil, mean employers. And the journalists said, we, we want to be taken advantage of. We want, we, 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 we. But they're not being listened to. Now, it is a terrible law. There's no question that it is a bad law. But, but, guess what? It came up. It is the brainchild of all of these wonderful good intentions of a bunch of meddling liberal leftists who haven't the slightest idea about reality. It was originally driven by the desire to get everybody in a union of some kind, but it was really intended to punish employers who these liberals thought were trying to escape the responsibility of paying health care and paying child care and paying maternity leave and veterinary leave and all that. It was a coordinated movement because it began in California and after that happened, the United States House of Representatives passed a companion bill. Now the Senate U.S. Senate's never going to pick it up. Trump would never sign it. So there will not be a federal companion to California AB5. Now, the reason this is relevant right now, aside from all the reasons I just mentioned to you, uh, Biden just weighed in on it. Bite me. Plugs just weighed in on it. This is a job-killing bill, folks. It's it's people who who want to work but don't want to work for just one person are being told you can't work that way. It kills freelance work. Essentially what this does, what AB5 does is wipe out freelancers and freelance work. It puts a limit on how much freelance work anybody can do uh, in the course of a year. And Biden has come out in favor of this. He's come out in favor of limiting freelance work because Biden thinks he's coming out in favor of unions. And he doesn't know that rank-and-file liberal Democrat freelancers are up in arms about this. Anyway, there's, there's a lot more to this, and there are some really big life lessons in this, Bill. i got to take a break now, but I promise I'll spend some more time on this, cluing you in. I got to get this in. I got to get this in before we get out of here. You know, the big, uh, I guess, Hillary Clinton documentary special or something. And it's running on a Hulu network. I tell you, I am living rent-free in uh, in their heads. This is a little episode, a from episode two of the documentary Hillary, uh, series Hillary. And this is David Rodham Gergen. Uh, and again, it's this week in episode two. On- the argument was this left-wing woman is ordering her husband around and, uh, you know, he's her poodle. Just constant attacks from, you know, shock and talk radio. And a whole bunch of guys' testicles are in Hillary's lockbox, her testicle lockbox. I can't remember any first lady who's been assaulted the way she was and treated the way she was. Yeah. That's David Gergen responding to me, saying, yeah, it was our TV show. A whole bunch of guys' uh, testicles in Hillary's lockbox. Testicle lockbox. Yeah, I've always, always uh, loved that. She's, she is, you know, she's the most cheated on woman in America. There's no question. 
starting starting with her husband. It's a sad, 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 sad thing. Well, Nancy Reagan, yeah, but but she got hit on too. Yeah, that that was unfair. Laura Bush as well. Hey, folks, there's some people that struggled with the uh, time change this weekend. You move the clock up forward. Uh, first work day during daylight savings time. Bolin Branch is encouraging customers go to sleep earlier this week. It's one way of compensating for the time difference. Bolin Branch knows their products are going to give you a more comfortable night's rest. So get in them. The sheets are luxury. Get in bed. Get in those sheets an hour earlier than usual, and you won't go through this. This is a missing an hour. Bolden Branch makes the softest, the most comfortable sheets, the most comfortable bedding. They use a pure organic cotton unique to them. It ensures that you're going to experience luxury with their products at bedtime every night. And if you don't, you've got 30 days to try the sheets. 30 days. If you don't like them, if they're not what we say, send them back and you'll get all of your money back. 30-day money-back guarantee with your purchase. Bolin Branch, B-O-L-L, and Branch. The only place you can get these luxurious sheets is on their website, B-O-L-L-N-Branch.com. Use my name, and you'll save 50 bucks on your first purchase. So it looks like sanctuary status for the coronavirus in California as the cruise ship will be docking 21 people experiencing the virus as the ship docks. Have a great rest of the day, folks, and be right back here tomorrow. See you then. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts. Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.